Today I'm going to be meditating on the story from 1 Samuel 8 to 10, uh, and this is the story of Israel rejecting God's last judge, which was Samuel, and requesting a king like all of the other nations. So um, the biblical account is fairly long. It's like two pages worth, and then of course I will do an afterward and a retelling. So here is 1 Samuel 8. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the, all the nations." But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them, and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and will give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain, and your vintage, and give to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them into his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, that the Lord and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, and that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. There was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son, whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you, and arise, go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim, and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again, and said, Look, I have I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. For formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. 
Then Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And they went up to the city, and met some young young women going out to draw water, and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered them, and said, Yes, he is here. there he is, just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city, because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to eat, at, eat to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for about this time you will find them, find him. So they went up to the city, and they were coming into. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his, um, in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, "Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me." So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Now Samuel took Saul and all his servants and and brought him into this hall, and they had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about thirty persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat. For until this time it has been kept for you, since I said in, uh, since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on top of the house. They arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel came called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, "Get up, that I may send you on your way." And Saul arose, and both of them went outside. He and Samuel. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have not have been found, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men are going up to God at Bethel and will meet you, carrying... Uh, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait, till I come to you and show you what you should do. 
So it was, when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him, and then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened, when all who knew him formerly saw him, that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is that that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? uh, So he said, To look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mitzpah, and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and from from the hand of all kingdoms, and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all his adversaries and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. So they ran and brought him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? So the people shouted and said, Long live the king! Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, and wrote it in a book, and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went went, went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him, and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Okay, so that was very long. Sorry about that. Um, So my kind of introduction, I guess, before I get into my retelling. How disappointing for God. He'd chosen this nation. He had a special relationship with them. He promised them nothing but blessings galore, and you can find that in Deuteronomy 28, if only they would obey him. He always intended to lead them personally through one one judge as his liaison. He knew that they wouldn't be faithful to him, but I doubt that that made it any less heartbreaking when time and time again the people abandoned him and worshipped false gods. He was covenant-bound to withdraw from them when this happened, leaving them open to the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. When they'd had enough, finally, the people would cry out and God would send the deliverer who was to be their next judge, whoever was the best option that he had at the time. Samuel had been one of the good judges, and perhaps it wouldn't have ended as it did if his sons had been like him. It's strange that Samuel thought his sons would succeed him, though, since God's judges were never meant to be a dynasty. Presumably, Samuel also knew of his son's shortcomings. It's very clear in this story that God didn't think a king was a good idea, and he took it as a personal rejection, and we see that also in Hosea 13.11. Yet, he granted what the people wanted anyway. So, it's interesting how often in Old Testament stories, God gives the people what they demand, even though he knows it isn't for the best. God chose to make creatures with free will, and because of it, he rarely gets his first choice. I'm thinking of the story of Balaam. God told him not to go with Balak's messengers the first two times he asked. Balaam should have left left it at that instead of pressing God to give in. But Balaam wanted financial gain, just as the Israelites wanted to govern themselves rather than having to rely on God. Moses also permitted divorce, even though Jesus said that wasn't God's first choice either. That was Matthew 19.8. God gave the people what they asked for, consequences and all. 
At the same time, I have to wonder whether the Israelites' desire for a king was somehow premature. Saul reigned for 40 years, and that's we know that from Acts 13.21, and David began to rule when he was 30 years old, just after Saul's death. We know that from 2 Samuel 5.4. That means David wasn't even born until the 10th year of, Sa- of Saul's reign, even though God... and uh, began to look for a man after his own heart. We know that from 1 Samuel 13, 14, in the second year of Saul's reign. Saul's beginning was certainly less than illustrious, and we can see seeds of the cause of his downfall, insecurity and the fear of man, from the very beginning. It also seems like Saul was just a placeholder until David was old enough to be anointed and trained up in the school of hard knocks, as it were, and ready to, to become ready for the throne. That said, it's interesting how God used natural circumstances, Saul's father lost his donkeys and had sent him and a servant to look for them, to bring Saul and Samuel together. Samuel's prophetic insight uh, to set aside the best cut of meat, expecting Saul to show up the next day, surely primed Saul to accept Samuel's proclamation that he would become king. God knew that a man like Saul wouldn't just believe a word like that. He would need to be convinced. Then Samuel gave him a number of other confirmatory events to look for in subsequent seven days so that he would be ready for the big reveal of the man God had appointed a week later. Unfortunately, Samuel's presentation fell flat when the new king was literally hiding among the baggage. Presumably his absurd behavior was why some of the men of Israel despised him. Shortly after this, God used an attack from their enemies as a means to galvanize Israel to fight under Saul's leadership. That was 1 Samuel 11. That Because of that, Saul redeemed himself, earning a new and better coronation. Yet only a year after that, in the second year of Saul's reign, Saul disobeyed God for the first time, causing God to proclaim through Samuel that God would take the kingdom away from Saul and give it to a man after his own heart. That was 1 Samuel 13, 14. It was a decade or so later that Saul again disobeyed and God formally rejected uh, Saul as king. Saul's response was interesting. He asked Samuel to at least continue to honor him before the people. That was 1 Samuel 15, 30, indicating what really mattered to him. He wanted the honor and respective men, not of God. Proverbs 29:25 warns against that. This was exactly why God chose David instead. Okay, so my retelling, and this one is from Samuel's perspective. I couldn't help wondering in the quiet of night whether it was all my fault. The Lord had never told me that the position of judge should be hereditary, nor had it ever been so in Israel's history. Yet I'd had it in my mind since my sons were born that as soon as they were old enough, they could share my load. I suppose I had this idea because Eli had practically raised me, and the priesthood was hereditary. Eli's sons had turned out poorly too, though. I don't know why I thought that would be a good model to follow. Yes, I did know. I wanted to believe it. I wanted the latter part of my life to be easier than the first part had been, but I also had a romanticized ideal of sharing what mattered most to me with Joel and Abijah. I was so focused on this goal that I failed to see, I refused to see, the men my sons had become, just as Eli had done. The elders of Israel all assembled before me one day and shouted their accusations from all directions. "'Look, you're an old man, and your sons aren't following in your footsteps,' one called. "'Old?' I winced inwardly. I was barely sixty, but I was certainly tired after forty-eight years of ministry. I felt old.' They cheat us, another of the elders cried. They'll rule in favor of whoever bribes them the most. These words struck me like a blow. I'd seen this tendency in my sons from their youth. I didn't think either of them had had ever heard from the Lord directly. Secretly, I had worried that they did not truly fear him, but I'd hidden those fears even from myself. Now, here was the proof. Appoint a king to rule us, just like every other nation. I cannot vouch for my expression when I heard this demand. I was not a man given to tears, but after all I had done for them, after devoting forty-eight years to judging these people, delivering them from the Philistines, and bringing them back to true worship of the Lord, they had rejected me. Their words felt like a personal betrayal. I will bring your request before the Lord, was all I could manage before I retreated from them, slamming slamming the door to my home in their faces. I'd continued in prayer from then until now, on my knees in the temple before the Lord. It was now past midnight, but the Lord never spoke according to my timeline. 
Go ahead and do what they're asking, came the Lord's whisper at last. They are not rejecting you. They are rejecting me as their king. I swallowed, somehow both saddened and soothed, to hear that the Lord felt exactly as I did. From the day I brought them out of Egypt until this very day, they've been behaving like this, leaving me for other gods, and now they're doing it to you. I nodded. I know they have, Lord, I murmured. They are a stubborn people. I don't know why they think a king is going to do better do for them what a judge won't do. But as soon as I'd said this, I realized I did know. The judge acted in the position of Moses, constantly returning to the, from the, for the Lord's direction before every decision, both militarily and in government. The king would not be in such communion. He would do as he thought best, without, needing, without need to consult the Lord. He would be dependent upon human wisdom, though, and because of this, he would probably be even more prone to corruption than my sons were. Let them have their own way, the Lord said, but warn them of what they're in for. Tell them that, that what they're likely to get from a king. I knew enough of how kings in neighboring nations behaved to be able to guess what he meant, but he gave me a vision of it anyway. When the Lord's vision finished, I rose, feeling desolate. I wasn't entirely sure if I was now sharing in the Lord's own heartbreak, or because my own vision for the latter part of my life had been destroyed, or because I had been forced to confront my son's corruption. I splashed water on my face and went to my own home, walking the dark, empty streets illuminated only by moonlight. I always imagined that the Lord himself walked beside me on these moonlit strolls. Tonight I needed the company. The next morning I sent for Joel and Abijah. I told them first what the people had said, so that they could get their own initial outrage out of the way before they encountered the news publicly. It went precisely as I had imagined it would. Joel sulked and turned stony and silent. Abijah threw a fit, shouting, throwing, and breaking things. "'What are we supposed to do now, then?' he demanded. "'You raised us to be Israel's judges.' "'That was my own fault,' I sighed heavily. "'You both have other skills. "'Joel, you have some knowledge as a farmer, "'and Abijah, you can work for your brother. "'Work for my brother?' Abijah ranted. "'It's his fault the elders of Israel rejected us. "'He's the cheater.' "'Joel leapt to his feet, "'and the boys almost came to blows "'in a pattern they had repeated "'hundreds of times since they were children. "'I always inserted myself between them "'to force them apart as if uh, if I were present at the time. "'If not, someone got bloody. "'I played my role again now, "'but felt too tired to engage with their accusations.' The elders will assemble to hear the word of the Lord in one hour, I told them. It would be seemly if you were both present and in one piece. If you are not, well, that will be your choice. Then I turned and walked away, ignoring their shouts and protests. My sons did not appear with the elders in front of the temple an hour later, to my sorrow, but not to my surprise. To do so would have required a measure of humility I knew they did not possess. If they had, we might not be in this situation in the first place. This is the way the kind of king you desire would operate, I called out to the people in warning once they quieted down. He'll take your sons and make soldiers of them, cavalry, infantry, regimented in battalions and squadrons. He'll put some to force labor on his farms, plowing and harvesting, and others to making either weapons of war or chariots in which he can ride in luxury. He'll put your daughters to work as beauticians and waitresses and cooks. He'll conscript your best fields, vineyards, and orchards and hand them over to his special friends. He'll tax your harvests and vintage to support his extensive bureaucracy. Your prize workers and best animals he'll take for his own use. He'll lay a tax on your flocks, and you'll end up no better than slaves. The day will come when you will cry out in desperation because of this this king you want so much for yourselves. But don't expect God to answer. The elders in the front row cried out, We will have a king to rule us. Another voice rose above the clamor of agreement, adding, Then we'll be just like all the other nations. Our king will rule us and lead us and fight our battles. My heart felt so heavy. Didn't they know that until now God had fought their battles for them? Yet they wanted a leader they could see. Do as they say, I heard the Lord whisper to me, make them a king. I took a deep breath and cried, The Lord has heard you. Go home, each of you, to your own city. They dispersed slowly, and I stood there on the temple steps until the last of them had gone. Last of all, I wandered away. Who, Lord? I asked aloud once I was alone. What man is there in Israel whom you would, with whom you would trust with such power? I heard no response that day, nor the next, nor the day after that. 
This silence, I knew, and the wait, were the very reasons why the people wanted a king in the first place. Hearing from the Lord was unpredictable. His timing was his own. I knew enough of him to wait in peace, but the elders tended to fret in the silence, wanting to take matters into their own hands. A king would do just that. About a week later, the Lord finally spoke to me. This time tomorrow I am sending a man from the land of Benjamin to meet you. You are to anoint him as commander over my people Israel. He will free my people from Philistine oppression. I have heard their cries for help. Huh, I replied aloud. Benjamin? It was the smallest of the tribes, ever since the concubine incident several generations earlier, which had almost wiped them out. I'd have expected the Lord's anointed to come from any tribe but that one. The next day was a local sacrifice in the land of Zeph where I lived. Tradition held that I should go and bless the people's sacrifice to the Lord so that they could eat of it. Since the Lord had told me I would meet his anointed before the sacrifice would occur, I told the people to set aside the best portion of the sacrifice and give it the following day to the one I indicated to them. The day of the sacrifice, I went my way up to the high place and stopped just as I exited the city. Two men approached. One was clearly a servant, and the other was a sight to behold. He was taller than any of any man of Israel I had ever seen, powerfully built, and with a head of thick, dark hair and a full beard. He practically radiated with health and beauty. He's the one, the man I told you about, the Lord said to me. He is the man who will reign over my people. Though I had previously been heartbroken when the people asked for a king, I'd gotten used to the idea in the intervening week of silence from the Lord. Now, the moment I beheld this incredible specimen of a man, I felt a throb of pride, almost as if he were my son. The man approached me directly. "'Pardon me, but can you tell me where the seer lives?' "'I'm the seer,' I told him. "'Accompany me to the shrine and eat with me. "'In the morning I'll tell you all about what's on your mind and send you on your way.' "'Then, in a flash of insight, the Lord revealed to me why they were here and what concerned them. "'By the way, your lost donkeys, the ones you've been hunting for the last three days, have been found, "'so don't worry about them. "'At this moment, Israel's future is in your hands.' "'The magnificent man looked thunderstruck. "'But I'm only a Benjamite, from the smallest of Israel's tribes, "'and from the most insignificant clan in the tribe at that,' he stammered. I was struck by the strange contrast between his looks and his manner. Why are you talking to me like this? I regarded him, but despite the temptation to reveal all now, I obeyed the prompting of the Lord. I will tell you in the morning, I reiterated, and led the way to the high place for the feast. When we arrived and found that all the people were already assembled, I gestured for the man, whose name turned out to be Saul, and his servant to take their seats among the people. I noticed how the people stared at him in awe, yet Saul did not seem to notice. Presumably he'd grown used to the stares over a lifetime. I pulled the cook aside and whispered, "'Bring the choice cut I pointed out to you and the one I told you to reserve.' The cook looked slightly bemused, but did as I had asked, and brought out the thigh, placing it before before Saul. "'This meal was kept aside just for you,' I announced to Saul, loudly enough that all who were assembled could hear. "'Eat! It was especially prepared for this time and occasion with these guests.' Saul looked terribly embarrassed, but after a feeble protest or two, he eventually did as I had bid him. The rest of us took our portions of the sacrifice from what was left. We all ate and drank merrily before the Lord, and then Saul and his servant returned with me back to my house. I prepared a bed for them on to- in the top of the house, cooled by the breeze, and slept a little that slept a little that night myself. At daybreak, I called to Saul, "Get up, and I'll send you off." I offered them breakfast and walked them out, uh, walked with them to the outskirts of the city. But then at last told Saul, Tell your servant to go on ahead of us. You stay with me a bit. I have a word of the Lord to give you. After my promise the day before, and also my strange behavior at the feast, Saul had evidently been expecting this. He simply nodded to his servant, who sped up while we hung back. When the servant was far enough ahead that Saul and I were alone, I withdrew from my cloak, a flask of anointing oil, and gestured for Saul to kneel before me. He did so, and I poured the oil over his thick black hair until it ran down his beard. He looked astonished, as I took his face in my hands, kissing him on both cheeks. 
Do you see what this means? I proclaimed. God has anointed you commander over his people. This this sign will confirm God's anointing of you as king over his inheritance. After you leave me today, as you get closer to your home country of Benjamin, you'll meet two men near Rachel's tomb. They'll say, the donkeys you went to look for are found. Your father has forgotten about the donkeys and is worried about you, wringing his hands quite beside himself. Leaving there, you'll arrive at the Oak of Tabor. There, you'll meet three men going up to worship God at Bethel. One will be carrying three young goats, another carrying three sacks of bread, and a third a jug of wine. They'll say, hello, how are you? And offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept. Next, you'll come to Gibeah of God, where there's a Philistine garrison. And as you approach the town, you'll run into a bunch of prophets coming down from the high place, playing harps and tambourines, flutes and drums. And they'll be prophesying. Before you know it, the Spirit of God will come on you, and you'll be prophesying right along with them. And you'll be transformed into a new person. When these confirming signs are accomplished, you'll know that you're ready. Whatever job you're given to do, do it. God is with you. Now, go down to Gilgal, and and I will follow. I'll come down and join you in worship by sacrificing burnt offerings and peace offerings. Wait seven days. Then I'll come and tell you what to do next. Saul stared at me in mute amazement as I said all of this. I could almost see his brain spinning as he tried to process all that I had said. I gestured for Saul to rise to his feet, which he did as if in a daze. I marveled once again, now that he was right next to me, at what a tower of a man he was. Then I patted him on the back to give him the indication to get going and catch up with his servant. Seven days later, I called the people together at Mitzpah. I was excited. Today was to be the great day of the Lord's unveiling of the people's king. My sons, once again, were conspicuously absent, sulking, no doubt, but I did not let this bother me. I wondered if, after the Spirit of the Lord had come upon Saul, I would even recognize him as the timid man I had met on the road. When all the el- the people were assembled, I stood up and spoke to all of them as I had weeks ago spoken to the elders. This is God's personal message to you. I brought Israel up out of Egypt. I delivered you from the Egyptian oppression. Yes, from all the billowing governments that made your life miserable. And now you want nothing to do with your God, the very God who has a history of getting you out of all sorts of trouble. And now you say, no, we want a king. Give us a king. Well, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. Present yourselves formally before before God, ranked in tribes and families. I wanted to maximize the impact of the ceremony, not just announce Saul as the king, but to really give it the the moment the build-up it deserved. When I chose the tribe of Benjamin, I heard the whispers. They were my own reaction, and Saul's as well. I waited for the whispers to subside, and then announced, Tribe of Benjamin, now arrange yourselves by families. They did so, and I frowned. Saul was a head taller than all the men of Israel. I should have been able to spot him easily. Where was he? Yet I felt the Lord lead me to the family of Matri, so I chose them. The men of the family came forward, and I scanned the lot of them, searching for the face I expected. "'Saul, son of Kish, is the man,' I cried out, with rather less impact than I had hoped. "'But where is he?' I felt the Lord draw my attention to a pile of baggage brought by their tribe, since they had had to come from all over Israel for this ceremony. I heard the Lord say to me, "'He's right over there, hidden in that pile of baggage.' I felt a wave of... dread? Embarrassment? But I walked toward a pile of baggage with my head held high, gesturing for some of Saul's own family to help me move the bags one by one. I uncovered Saul's chagrined face, which was bright red as well it should be. Get up, I hissed. Fortunately for you, not everyone in Israel has a good view of this ridiculousness. Saul crawled out from under the pile in which he'd been hiding and brushed himself off. I pulled him up to, to, the, um, to the raised area from which I had been speaking and added under my breath, Head high, for goodness sake, try to look like a king. Then I cried to the people, trusting that Saul's extraordinary looks would be the first thing they would notice. Take a good look at whom God has chosen the best. No one like him in the whole country. Long live the king, the people cried out, their voices joining together and rising in a crescendo. Long live the king! That was a good start. I hoped it meant the story of the baggage wouldn't spread, but as I left, I overheard the whispers. Deliverer? Don't make me laugh. How can this man save us? He hid himself at his own coronation. What a marvelous leader he must be. I closed my eyes, but chose not to rebuke them on Saul's behalf. He would have to do that himself. He was Israel's leader now, after all. Not me. 
So I hope that helped it come alive to you. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.